gonna build a nation that don't torture no one but it's gonna take courage for that change to come and we're gonna build a nation they don't torture no one, they don't torture no one, but it's gonna take courage, gonna take our courage for that change to come, for that change to come, and we are gonna build a nation that don't torture no one, but it's gonna take Courage, it's gonna take our courage, it's gonna take your courage for that change to come. And welcome back to Know Where We Stand podcast. Uh, for our interview today, we have two. Uh, guests we're really excited to have on, uh, Emmanuel and Lou from the Peace Poets. Thank you both so much for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Great to be here. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah Peace family. Uh, it's also a blessing to be here. Awesome. So we want to cover a bunch of different things today. Um, but just to start out, you know, both of you and, and the Peace Poets do so much different work. And I was wondering how uh, you guys describe your work. Yeah, I appreciate that question. So the Peace Poets are five brothers. We are artists, MCs, spoken word poets. And we're, we've recently started to talk about how we're, we're more than that. People also know us as activists and as organizers and as artists. But we also know that we're more than that. And so one of the ways in which we've decided to describe our work is that we are creators and connectors. So we create spaces where people are guaranteed love, respect, dignity. We create spaces where people celebrate, feel alive, feel connected, feel joyful. Uh, and we create also, uh, I think, one of the most precious things, which is community, little by little as we go. And what we feel like we try to connect folks to is uh, our purpose and the purpose uh, of loving and being loved, the purpose, uh, uh, as well as we connect people to history, uh, to the truth of our reality and to each other. Yeah. So that's one way to describe it. There's many ways to describe our work. Yeah. Thank you for that question. It's something that we've been thinking a lot about recently. Um, and not just recently, as as we continue to walk this path uh, of artistry and I think what Lou also calls, a, we're like a mix of a hip-hop crew and a humanitarian initiative. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think what we mean and what he means when he says that uh, is, is focusing on the healing um, that is the point of art. Uh, it's the reason why we cry when we listen to certain songs or mm -hmm. see certain uh, films or images because something in us is celebrating, something in us is healing. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think we, you know, lose touch with that along the way. But uh, as people who are connected to communities who are on front lines of social justice struggles, um, families who have lost loved ones to police murder or who have loved ones who are incarcerated, you see how um, people telling their stories and creating art from what they've actually lived is powerful and it is political, even though sometimes Mm -hmm. we may not see those direct connections. Um, So we've been really thinking about how how to keep the healing aspect uh, in the forefront of our of our work, um, because it is that that uh, that's going to give our art real purpose in any space that we bring it uh, in any form, um, whether it's in a poetry circle, whether it's on a on a stage, uh, or whether it's in the streets um, protesting and using our our art to give chance um, to to voices in the movement. Um, yeah, so I really appreciate uh, you mentioning healing and creating those um, healing spaces. And I mean, just from, you know, knowing you guys and being friends with you, I'm, I'm struck by uh, the five of you as men creating healing spaces. And I'm wondering what role brotherhood plays in your group. And uh, I guess as as men in this work, where you see some challenges maybe from the exterior interior um, coming up yeah we talk a lot about the violence of masculinity right there's a the definitions that are put upon manhood in our society a lot of them are inherently violent in the sense that they keep us from being loving and keep us from being open so essentially we're actually not being our full selves Mm -hmm. and and so if you got so there you go right there. If you're not able to be your full self, you're not able to love and say that you need love and express that you need love to be gentle, to be kind, to connect to other people, then you're broken, right? Then we are broken because we and I could say that and mean it, right? As a, someone who was raised in a society and uh, you know male body person, and you know, uh, I believe that that I've been broken, that I've been hurt deeply by the idea of what it is to be a man mm-hmm. by the idea of what it is to be a man yeah right? and then because of how powerful the idea is how has that affected every single day in which i've walked out into the streets and looked at people and felt either connected or disconnected so much more often maybe threatened maybe like i had to defend myself maybe like my first priority was to express a certain amount of machismo or uh, Mm -hmm. toughness out of necessity because of the ways in which manhood exists. And so, of course, we need healing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) If we are broken, if we are shattered, if we are incomplete and not even the the problem is most of the time we don't even know we need to go to the doctor Mm -hmm. from from this type of illness, from this ailment. We don't know that we need healing as men because we're not taught that either, right? That's like the same way in which... We, we, they make sure that white people don't know the history of of white people right raising raise, rising up and also against uh white supremacy the same way that white supremacy enshrines uh this idea of complicity it's true also of manhood mm-hmm. right that, that we don't even know to seek healing mm-hmm. and that we don't know to address this this story about what manhood is 
and and so yeah, we create spaces of healing, and I'm sure that both of, yeah both of us could could speak to that a lot, and we've actually uh, uh, E has done a lot of work specifically with young men, so I could let him speak to that because he has so much experience with it. And as a group, as the Peace Poets, I would just say that a lot of us have facilitated groups of explicitly young men and had amazing experiences by just being like, cool, let's have these conversations that were never had, right? The ones that happen kind of either, the, the ones that, that are rebelling against these ideas. And it's like kind of like, guess what, y'all? We know you have feelings. <laughs> you know? It's okay. Yeah, it's okay to feel, it's okay to be scared. Uh, and, and, and you, it's okay to, to have questions and to not know and it's also okay to uh, love each other, right? So that's what I mean. There's many rebellions that we have against the ideas of masculinity, and all of them definitely are in the context of uh, of trying to heal from the immense pain that our ideas of manhood cause. I think Luke did a, a really uh, good job of of saying that, you know, um, and just to add my two cents, just as a an individual in the Peace Poets, you know, I'm really grateful for the space for um, expressions of love between between men, um, between male-identified uh, folks. Um, because as someone who was born and raised in New York, um, in a culture, you know, that is very rooted in patriarchy and, um, and sexism, uh, it's not something that uh, I was familiar with. And so I remember like those feelings of awkwardness, like when I would first see, you know, the guys like really hug each other and uh, say that they loved each other. Um, and just normalizing that, you know, breaking down those, those walls. And I've, as a chapter leader for the Brotherhood Sister Soul, um, I've seen how how high those walls are for our young people because they have to protect themselves. Um, as I've seen, I've, as I've felt them in myself. Um, and so, yeah, just wanted to say I'm really appreciative of that, that space to really practice those expressions of love. There's like so much knowledge um, and like things to kind of like pick at from what you were saying. Um, but as a woman and being on the receiving end of that that violence and um, like you were saying, like that need to heal that men have, um, I was just thinking about how the role of the woman is to like go above and beyond and then take that step further and then like provide for, or like take care of like the men or like be the healers. Um, and it's like, no, you guys, you guys, are capable of healing yourselves and in fact you need to do that but yeah I was just kind of thinking about um E what you were saying kind of that like the person is political even if like they're trying to run away from it or like they don't really want to be just like um and Lou I think you said it right we live with ideas that are so powerful that they're like placed upon us but yeah just like we like don't have space for encounter and it sounds like that's really like what you're trying to bring is like and create these spaces to just encounter one another um and I think like the deep work of healing starts there just being like I see you like yeah it's okay to cry there's no question at the end of this statement this is 
it was just a reflection <laughs> on what you said. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I just want to um, vibe off that um, about healers. Um, just to note how upside down um, we currently are. We're living in such a hyper-political world that it's it's hard to be aware of how political every single thing is. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, in when we live in in such a in such a context, it becomes uh, our responsibility as healers to do that investigative work and become aware of the many layers of oppression that we're maintained by. And mm-hmm. so I think that this journey has allowed me to see, you know, that I'm living on Lenape land. You know, that my country is at war, that my money is going to finance uh, people being killed, people being tortured, people Mm -hmm. being bombed. Uh, And so I say that because we need the same way that we're investing trillions of dollars in war. We need that investment, not of money, because money is just right. the, The thing that we've attached to the idea of value. But we need the the value of humanity to be in the artist, in artistry, in creation, mm-hmm. and because that we're, we are the truth tellers, uh, artists are the truth tellers. Uh, whether you create a dance, whether you create a painting, uh, and you show the truth to the world of what is really going on uh, in your life and what you've experienced, mm-hmm. and so I just wanted to to speak to that because. Uh, we also had an amazing workshop yesterday, uh, and uh, a great artist named Holiday said in our writing session, uh, I heal people because healed people heal people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about that energy and of that idea uh, and how it's so vital to us getting to a place where we can finally uh, see each other um, fully and see how our lives are interconnected and know how we have to move from there on uh, through the, you know, the wisdom of, of all the artists who've come before and mm-hmm. will come after because there's some really amazing young people saying what the world needs to hear as well, especially in prison. Yeah. Um, so in this state of mass incarceration and segregation too, what, uh, what do you think is the call for us as people of faith to encounter um, our our fellow people who are behind bars? And how do you think we could, could break down some of those barriers? Yeah, I'll come back actually to, to art right away because one of the things that we've been able to do is work with young people who are incarcerated. And it's so immediately evident how profoundly inhumane the system itself is. I mean, the logistics of the system. I mean, what it is to go inside, uh, have your clothes taken from you, have not be able to open doors or you know, not be able to make the smallest decisions that express your your desires, your humanity, your instincts, right? And it's almost as if you get taken away. If your humanity was a place, you've been taken far from it. Uh, and then there's... You just keep going with every single element to it, with the food that you're eating, with the way people talk to you, with the way that you have to be, you're dehumanized by having to protect yourself. I mean, every single step of the way, you're brought farther from your humanity. There's farther, and yet, uh, 
you can, wherever you are, and where I've seen young people, you know, and other people who are, have been locked up uh, from that distant place, uh, you can still touch and feel your humanity because it's within you, right? And so no matter how far they've tried to take you, uh, you, can, you can still feel it. And, and it's as if it's on a hill and you can see it right in the distance, uh, but it's not always easy to get back there. And what I've seen is that art is one of the most effective ways to return, right? To actually say, to make present our humanity in a space of it that is inherently inhumane. And, and I've heard people tell their stories about who they love and the people and about their moms who they miss, right? And, and the people who have guided them through the hardest moments in their life, the people who they want to see when they get out, and also just their, their ideas. One yeah. of the people who is an amazing yeah. artist I teach with, her, she, she says, you know, what do y'all have? Why are you artists? Because you have ideas, right? And that is, and that is something from, from those ideas that are unique that come your expression of your truth, Right? And, and and when that happens, right, and I know that you all have experienced, all of us have experienced it. Right? What happens is we see and feel those sparks of humanity, right? And those sparks are happening both uh, in inside every prison every single day because that's the nature of the of the human spirit. And as people of faith, I think that what we need to do is be able to constantly recognize those sparks. Right, yeah. The sparks of humanity that are behind bars, those that are actually out here too. Yeah. Um, so I know you guys have done some work on uh, the shutting down Rikers campaign. Um, and we know Mary de Blasio has announced a plan to shut down Rikers. Could you share just a little bit about um, your work on the campaign and what needs to be done now to ensure that Rikers isn't replicated somewhere else? Yeah, if I could just say quickly, the, so a lot of the work that we do uh, in the last five years or so is connected to organizations who are doing amazing work. So they, a lot of times, will call us or contact us and say, we would love your support on this campaign or on this issue. So not just organizations, but just folks. You know, Sometimes it's people organizing their building you know, in, the, in the Bronx. Sometimes it's, uh, it's families who've lost loved ones to police murder. And we've, we've tried to respond to the call, whether it's to an organization or to an individual as best we can. And, and so we were called upon by the Closed Rikers campaign to accompany them in that way. So when we talk about the work that we're doing, the first, I feel, first I got to say that every day there's a lot of people who wake up uh, first thing in the morning and spend like most, almost every hour of their day to shut down Rikers Island. Uh, And while we support them and we love them and we respect them immensely, those are not, those people are not us. So when I talk about the work we're doing to close Rikers, I want to be clear that the work that we're doing is having offered uh, music, right? So we wrote uh, some songs for that campaign. We went to the streets for their big march that they had uh, last year to the, went through Queens to the, to the bridge of, uh, that goes to Rikers Island and performed there. So we offered our songs and our poems to this movement as well as, folks who have, uh, and we've done it in kind of unique spaces. So not just in the streets at a protest, maybe in a a typical what we think about as an activist thing, but also going to the hearings that they had uh, to protest solitary confinement in Rikers Island. We know the trauma and the the harm that has happened specifically for those who are in solitary. Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to add... uh, just in terms of culturally what we can do um, is really to to challenge to challenge a white supremacy 
patriarchy and capitalism's narrative of um, people behind bars and people in general, you know, anybody, <laughs> whatever, whatever story they got rejected. Um, <laughs> but in this, in this particular uh, context, um, I think we really have to develop our own philosophy of humanity uh, and know and reframe what, what is prison, you know, and who, who is a prisoner and what is a political prisoner. Uh, and I think those are the kinds of questions that lead us t to a, a deeper humanity um, because I think a lot of the conversation around um, criminal justice is still really surface level uh, in terms of where we should be and how we should be relating to our, our fellow humans. Um, it's very... Uh, the system is destroying lives, and it's n n not only the lives of the people inside of it, but entire communities are in prison. Uh, because when one person is in prison, when your loved one is in prison, that family is in prison. And so uh, I, I really want to challenge us to um, stand up for, for, our, for what we know to be true. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Emmanuel, and talking about bringing us deeper into our humanity. Um, one thing that's brought me deeper into my humanity is having the privilege of being at a few of your shows and hearing your poetry. So I was uh, wondering if you guys might be able to share a couple pieces with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so most of the poetry we do is spoken word poetry, and then especially when we perform live. And so there's actually a lot of types of poems that we don't share very often that are poems for the page. And uh, well, I'd love to share one specifically that's about, it's, it's about race and religion in this country. And without, I think it should, it, it should speak for itself. So this poem is called White Sunday. White people smile all the way to church on Sunday morning. They don't, actually. They probably stress about being on time. Or some other detail of their lives, they are blown way out of proportion, or they are deep in depression for totally legitimate reasons or absolutely bullshit reasons, but either way, they go to church straight-faced or smiling with dry eyes. And then, when they get there, they look up at their God, who cries tears of blood, and black people don't even cross their minds. America's glass is so stained by ignorance that white people pray to a man executed by the state and then complain about the protests of people murdered by the state. My brother calls this the United States of Pontius Pilate. I've watched white people ride to church in cars with tinted windows, sunglasses with the maximum UV protection and a perspective that has skewed history with walls and walls and walls of lies. And so here they are, Sunday morning, blind to the fact that they are not the faithful followers who gathered to lovingly take Jesus down from the cross. They are the ones who gathered to complacently watch his execution. So I emailed... Uh, the video link to the Pontius Pilate. <laughs> Pontius Pilate was the Roman prefect who proceeded over the trial and execution of Jesus of Nazareth. 
when he at the public's behest condemned Jesus to death he washed his hands and said I am innocent of this man's blood see to it yourselves the United States of Pontius Pilate because of collective selective memory because it's only a tragedy when the bodies are white because it's only terrorism when the bodies are white because some countries would do anything to have only one 9-11 because how dare a white American point an accusing finger at any brown religion when they decimated the natives, killed and tortured the bravest, enslaved and degraded, created chattel slavery, and rewrote history, A to Z. Because a man on the bus from the Bronx to Manhattan dared to yell at a woman, black people have never contributed to this country. He eagerly asked twice, what language are you speaking? waiting for the word English to sprout from the ether and into our minds. Exactly, you don't even speak your own tongue. As if slavery was a gift, the white man's burden. Thus, the United States of Pontius Pilate, where they will beat, whip, and crucify black people and then complain about the bloody mess made. The legacy of slavery is swept under ghettos all across the United States. Blood is slathered on doors all across the U.S. to protect their firstborns from drones. I mean, the angel of death. We don't wear a heart on our sleeve. That's why they aim at our chest, because you could do more damage with a pen than you can with a tech. We're talking strategy as we lay our family to rest. It took some time to adapt, but we're playing this chess. Cause it's not a democracy, when to have a voice, you need a lobby. And empires make a hobby of crucifying brown bodies. This country is capitalist when it comes to giving people handouts. But socialist when it comes to giving bankers bailouts. They want us to take their hand, but they haven't taken the nails out. The fact that we have survived this long in captivity is a miracle. And I don't promote violence because oppression is cyclical. I rise to my highest self realizing all moments are biblical. Reflecting. They say Moses wandered the desert for 40 years. Well, who's to say the desert didn't look like this? And in 40 years, were more like 400. Today, there's blood in the streets. Yesterday, there was blood in the sand. And you can villainize me, but there's blood on that man. There is blood on this land. And there is blood on those hands. Yeah, so we've been asking all of our guests this, but just in the state uh, of our society in New York City, 
Um, what what brings you hope? All right, so thanks, Jimmy. What brings me hope? Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I, I really believe in abundance, and I believe that we're taught not to see it. So what I said before is we rebel against all kinds of ideas, and and one of the important ones is that. Uh, the important things that folks are taught to focus on focus on is that we need things. We need things to be happy. We need things to be beautiful. We need things to be successful, right? And so we wake up every day and we get on our grind to get our things that are supposed to get us what we are supposed to want. And yet, when we look away from that, right, when we duck that narrative and all of a sudden, like, gaze upon the ocean, of life that is right before us, we're just surrounded by gods. We're surrounded by miracles. We're surrounded by things that are so wildly amazing that hope is not even like, that's like an afterthought. I'm too busy being in love with life to even be like, oh, like, where do I find hope? What? You know what I'm saying? I look at any human being and the way that their body works and their eyes look and that their fact that they're breathing and they can you know, just connect to something else, to someone else, to express a feeling. All of those things are so miraculous to me that, that I'm, in, I'm in love with life. You know? And one of my personally favorite expressions of life uh, is human beings. And when uh, I get to spend time with people and see people being people and walk through these streets and watch somebody kind of just walking their way into into their day or, or bobbing their head with their headphones on or, you know, just smiling and saying, have a good day or not. Maybe something that's not beautiful. Maybe something that's just real and hard. Maybe somebody tired and I hear them let out a tired sigh on the train. You know, and I was like, that makes me in love, too, because I know I'm also human and I know what that is. And so that fact that that we're experiencing something that is so, like as Teresa, as you said, right, this chaos, that we're surrounded by chaos, that we are in the chaos. Uh, and because we're experiencing that together, I really believe that if we have eyes to see, you know, no matter how bad the chaos is, no matter how intense the war being waged upon our humanity, no matter how lost we feel some days, that there, we are still surrounded by an abundance of beauty and creativity and possibility and absolutely uh, by hope. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, I think what has been, um, what stood out recently is we've been rehearsing and we performed yesterday with a percussionist, um, a brother named Dr. Drum. Um, and he's been just like giving us, dropping just gems uh, casually on us. <laughs> yeah, casual gems. Um, and he was just telling us uh, during rehearsal, you know, um, kind of just you know, get, advising us because he's, he's been in the game for 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 some time and he's just experienced and so uh just telling us like to trust um to trust that feeling inside um and to let go of the fear and the worries uh and he he captured it in such a simple but beautiful and powerful way you know 
if it's good, it's real. Um, yeah, my life is giving me hope. Uh, Dr. Drum's positive vibrations is giving me hope. Um, and being here, uh, of all places, you know, in in the, the island that I was born, um, in, in such a, a perilous time politically, uh, and we're like surrounded by wealth in this area that we're, we're at. Um, and however, you know, Benincasa is a sanctuary and a community and we're um, here meeting with the intentions of seeing and sharing the goodness of each other. Uh, and that, because it, th this is one moment we're capturing this in a recording, but I know that it's a living practice here. So uh, coming here gives me hope. Um, being here gives me hope. Um, yeah, being with, being in goodness with good family. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you both so much for being with us, for taking your time to be with us and for the depth of that sharing and um, thinking about Lent, uh, you know, as a time of kind of accounting and reflecting, but it's holding the hope for resurrection. And I really feel like a lot of this interview reminded me of that hope that is always around us um, if we keep our eyes open to it. Um, but thank you both. Super grateful for your presence with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you to y'all. Much love and respect. Thank y'all for this conversation and for the good work that you're doing in your lives. Appreciate you. Yeah, word up. Thank you so much for all that y'all do and keep putting that the message out there. Um, I'm so grateful to be part of this. Ashe. We ain't gonna right. stop. So that's the Peace Poets, Emmanuel and Lou. <laughs> We can't be silent, our love is not a riot. We've come to bring the justice that we've always deserved. The liberation of all black women leading the call. The change we making is about to be born. And I still hear my brother crying, I can't breathe. So now I'm in this struggle singing, I can't leave.